amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Carl, that was an absolutely amazing description. Showed a lot of depth and just shows what an amazing, knowledgeable guy you are of the game. And I humbly reject everything you just said. Have you not seen the South African League? Some of the like, ridiculous schools they're pulling off. Like, it's, like, <laughs> it's like they're not even playing football, they're just having fun. And what's, the, what's the one coach of Kaiser Chiefs, Steve Colum? I forgot how to pronounce his name. This guy has like the best post-match interviews. But anyway, uh, let's let's start the podcast. All right. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tactics Podcast, episode 88. My name's Daniel. Sipoy Double H Half Four. Hey everyone, it's Carl. This week we have a, a guest for you guys. A couple people have been asking me, can you guys get Nini on? Can you guys get Nini on? Yes, we got him. What's up, Nini FC? How you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on, you guys. Yeah. Actually, uh, actually let me just give you a quick shout out, man. Because basically, like, this is quickly, I'm, I'm going to just talk real here. And, and it may be slightly controversial, so this could possibly get us in trouble. But again, who cares? I'll, I'll take it on my chick. There are some fake fans out there. And there's some fake fan channels out there. Some fake fan channels who just want to get views because of what they look like or because they're pro- they're potentially strippers. Oh, I respect no, Nini. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me finish. This is something. This is something. Some, some, some like Nini is proper tactics. He doesn't do it to, for the views. He doesn't do it for shock value. He does it because he cares about the game. He's a proper analyst and analyst analytical. So all those fake fans out there who are doing it for views and who should really be strippers instead of football analysts, Anini is the guy. Thank you. Oh, that's, what the, that's the first ever compliment I've gotten. So, yeah, I, I really appreciate that, man. Obviously, been a massive fan of your channel for a while, so it means a lot to hear that. No, no, no it's real one, real one, real Nini, where, where can the people find you on YouTube before we start or just on social media in general? Yeah, well, you guys, if you want to find me on social media, I only have a Twitter page. So that's at Nini FC. That's N I I N I I F C. And my YouTube channel is called Blue Lions TV, like Lion, like, you know, Big Cat Lion. So yeah, Blue Lions TV is my YouTube channel. Cool. 
Yeah, we're on Twitter at Talking Tactics, Instagram Talking Tactics, Facebook Talking Tactics. Also, leave some Apple Podcast reviews. If it's five stars, we'll read it on the show. Speaking of, we got one this week from Australia. Um, yeah, man, people all over the world listen to this thing. Save the um, Aborigines. Save the Aborigines. <laughs> it's a five-star review. It says, too good from Patrick Maduda. Yo, guys, hands down the best football podcast. Keep this energy, and God will provide you with more listeners. It's me, your Australian boy, have hope. And Marco Royce Hater, he's still a living, stay blessed. I don't know what you were trying to say at the last part. Thank you guys for the review. If you want to leave a review, the easiest way, the easiest way to do that is in the description of the podcast. So go down there and uh, leave us a review if you're on an Apple device. So housekeeping out of the way, unless anybody has anything. Carl, you got an article. Have hope you got a video. No, I'm no, good. No, no, no. I'll, I'll say this until the end. So it's been a really big week of football. Uh, obviously, we've got the League Cup final, and we've got third played fifth. But what I want to do very, very quickly is to go through uh, all of the fixtures this weekend, and we're just going to shout out what we learned from these matches. So uh, the first game of the weekend was Leicester Stoke 1-1. Any conclusions from this? Uh, what I learned is Shakiri actually only does score good goals. Yeah, yeah, it seems like it. It looks like Stoke are in a lot of trouble now because they should have the talent, but I'm not sure if Lambert's going to, uh, re- you know, release the handbrake in time for them to pull away. Um, Yeah, I agree. I kind of think that it's a bit too late now. I think they should have gotten rid of Hughes a, a while ago. I mean, it's clear that Stoke have been on the decline year on year in. It's looking like they could be getting relegated this season. Uh, Bournemouth 2, Newcastle 2. Uh, this one's interesting because Newcastle were 2-0 up at halftime. Uh, could have gone 3-0 up, but John Joe Shelby missed the sitter. And then Bournemouth came steaming back. What we learned? Makashi has a lot of cash and I would like him to give me a portion of it. So that's what I learned. <laughs> Brighton beat Swansea 4-1. Yeah, that was a big one. Uh, Swansea tried playing on the counter-attack and Brighton just picked him off. It looks as if Brighton have finally figured out how to score goals, which is very interesting for the bottom of the table. So 17th place is 27 points, and Brighton in 12th are on 31. So it's four points. Burnley drew 1-1 with Southampton. Good result for both teams, I guess. Yep, keep going. Uh, Liverpool absolutely steamrolled West Ham 4-1. The main thing I'll say there is playing up against Liverpool's attack with Patrice Everett left back and Zabaleta right back is asking for a hiding. (laughs) Uh, and Liverpool fans that booed Patrice ever every time he touched the ball, have a word with yourself. That's why I've always hated Liverpool. I love the, the football banter guys, but Liverpool, their fans, nah, some of those guys are a bunch of losers. So. Yeah, I mean, it just sums up that this tribalism in football is just too extreme all the time. I mean, mm. most Salah, amazing. 30, 31 goals in all competitions already. When this guy left Chelsea, I knew he was a player, and um, I, I was always confident he was going to be a very top-class player from what I've seen because I've seen this guy since when he was playing for Basel in the, you know, Europa League. Incredible performances, his skill set's very unique as well. You know, it, what I love is his movement in the final third and I just saw that this guy has potential. Of course, I'm surprised with how quickly he adapted, but I mean, this is this guy's been a goal scorer for the past three seasons now, getting double uh, digits for assists and goals. So really, it's not really too much of a surprise. Because I remember seeing him at Chelsea and I remember watching quite a lot for Roman. I think a bit of Fiorentina as well. I think for some reason, it's just, it just happens in place, just a natural progression. When he went into Liverpool, his improvements just went sky high. Because basically you saw a, a very raw version of the guy at Chelsea Fiorentina thinking, but now you're just seeing a guy yeah. who is just, this is this, is this guy, he's, he's tier one, he's tier one. Exactly. So, he's only 25, which is 
remarkable as well. He's in theory, he's only going to get better. Egypt, pray that he's fit for the World Cup. Pray, pray that he's fit for the World Cup. Pray. Also, Firmino scoring as well. It makes it all tick. Um, Watford beat Everton one 0 in the Marco Silva derby. Any, any, uh, any thoughts and feelings here? Good results for 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 Watford. Man, it seems like if they have steadied their their ship, they seem to be doing it in the past few games. But again, you know, they're not Evans. scoring enough, though. You know, I think that's the issue they're having. I mean, it's true. That's it. They are playing well, but now it's about turning those good performances in, in, into G's and goals. So you know, also, uh, Troy Deeney's goal celebration where he hugged uh, Okaka was like are those the two biggest men that have ever hugged in the Premier League, like in a goal <laughs> celebration. They're so big. They're like six two, six three, stocky guys. Lopez Tostar in that hug. <laughs> Sunday fixtures. Tottenham Hotspur beat Crystal Palace with a late winner from Harry Kane. Any conclusions here? Harry Kane isn't isn't world class. Whoa, 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 whoa! I, I thought against Juventus he proved that he was. I've changed my mind. Can I can I explain why? You're not helping the have hope doesn't like white English player bias. <laughs> okay, and 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 to add to that, I I think Jack Wilshere is. An ext- is England's best player and an extremely good player. And one of the most underrated players in the last 10 years is Joe Cole. So, there you go. That's all you want. You just As want Harry players King. that can dribble. Can I, can I say my That's piece? All you Thank want. you. You want guys that dribble. Can I respond to the accusations? Has Harry Kane scored in a final? Has he scored a goal? <laughs> you keep moving team? the goalpost. Do you keep moving? No, no, no. For- has he scored a goal that has led to a trophy win? No. Thank you. He's not yet world class. Next, next fixture. Uh, yeah, fair enough. I think that that's a huge goal and it says a lot about the resilience. Harry Kane had four shots that should have gone in. I will say Serge Aurier looks to be one of the stupidest players I've ever seen. He got three three foul throws and remarkable. It's remarkable the trophies he's won and the accolades he's won where he just seems, seems to play like a schoolboy. He just chases after the ball all the time. Crystal Palace hard done by they had what tw- they have they currently have 12 first team injuries going into that game for the last three weeks and they had their 13th injury to a first team player in the Spurs game you know we're big fans of Palace and you know the tr- football they're trying to play down there but I think they're going to get sucked in because they just don't have the personnel Um, and now let's get to the big results so Man United beat Chelsea 2-1 at Old Trafford gentlemen I'll go first Actually, no, let's, let's let the, the guests go first. Nini, you, you can go first, being the guest. Thanks, you guys. Um, now, before the game, during my match previews, I was feeling pretty confident about United because I knew how, how Jose plays. I knew that our wing-backs would get in the game. I knew that we would be having the possession and I knew that we'd be able to get the, the half spaces open and the lines between the midfield and defence open for Hazard and William to play in. And, um, and honestly, the first half... Other than that United equaliser, it went how I expected. What I wasn't expecting in the second half... Actually, you know what? I should have been expecting this because I've been complaining about this from Conte every single time. The guy has no game management. He never makes any change to, to obviously take the ascendancy in a game or to take the advantage. And he's always reacting. And any, every time he reacts, it's, it's as if Conte just knows how to set out a team. But when it comes to the managing within a game, he just can't do it. So many times throughout the season where if he was more positive, made the earlier decision, we would have had much more positive results. Now, we're out the top four. We're playing against Man City. And I'm looking at the fixture list between all the top clubs in the top four, you know, um, United, Liverpool, Spurs. And ours is looking much more difficult compared to theirs. You know, Nini says, like, Conte can't change a game. Um, 
he can't change a game in Chelsea's favor, right? But he changes the game in the other team's favor. <laughs> um, and you know, someone asked the question I think is kind of pointing here. It says, was Conte right to take off Hazard in the 73rd minute with scores level at 1-1? Like, did we lose by that act? Uh, Mr. M-H-O-F-U-23. Yes. Like, the, the, the decision to take off Hazard, like, mm-hmm. I don't really understand the his motivation there because – the 73rd minute, so you still have 20 minutes with stoppage time that you have to play. It's not like Chelsea have a game in midweek. You could rest him until next Sunday when they play um, Man City. I don't understand why you're taking him off in the 73rd minute. You got anything? Like, Can someone explain know. to me? Basically, this is this is the logic. Even if it doesn't make sense, this is the, 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 the logic. In his mind, he really thought, we did so well against Barcelona, and we only restricted them to one goal by a great defensive display. Same team, same back three. He thought, wait a minute, let's take Hazard off. Let's just close this game out and I'll be happy with a 1-1. But the thing, though, is that you have been the better team. Hazard is causing United so many issues. Uh-huh. The match is there to be won. For, for, forget a draw. The match is there to be won because Hazard would have found a way to somehow create something that would have led to a goal. And someone says to me that, oh, how did... Taking off Hazard leads to United scoring when Hazard isn't a defender. It's called a mentality. If you're in a football team and you see your best offensive player come off, your mentality switches. So everybody now knows that, okay, we are now going into a defensive now. Because that is what that substitute signals. So the mentality of the whole team changed, which meant that United could now get into the game, Popper could get into the game and led to the goals. Um, I'm, I'm not sure it's, it's as blunt as taking off Hazard is a switching mentality because yes, he takes... Well, if he if he took Hazard off and put on a defender, I might see the point. Who came on for Hazard? Pedro. Pedro? Pedro? Yeah. You're comparing which, Pedro which, to Hazard? Which, no, I'm not comparing Pedro to Hazard. I'm saying he's put on another attacking player. The changes he made were he brought on Fabregas, he brought on Drinkwater, and he brought on Pedro. Yeah. I'm not saying these are smart choices. But I am saying he did not make sure he did not make selections to effectively sharp shop. My apologies. He did take off drink water, my mistake. He yeah. brought on Fabregas and he brought on Pedro. You know, I'm not saying taking off Hazard is silly. That is a you know, I've, we've talked effusively about Eden Hazard and how he's a generational talent and how he's gonna be fantastic for Real Madrid next season. At the same time, I don't I don't think Conte is necessarily taking Hazard off because he wants to shut up shop and draw this game. I think he's taking off Hazard because we don't know because Conte is very bizarre. You know, when you when you look at some of the choices he's made recently, I think you're bang on with the fact that Conte's got poor game management. I think something that really struck up to me was at halftime, uh, Graham Sunes on Sky Sports said Chelsea would be winning this by two or three goals if they had, quote unquote, a proper striker, which says a lot about Morata and, what Morata, and how Morata's season's gone. You know, he's been mm. very, very poor and off the pace for weeks now i think he's only scored two goals in the last 10 weeks um he's got seven yellow cards now uh many of them for bouts of indiscipline and descent towards referees yeah he had that half he had that you know i'd say a half he turned a quarter chance into a good half chance in the opening five minutes but after that he seemed really really ineffective Giroud is a good striker but again you know i said before Giroud isn't the, the striker you have as your starter for a team that wants to win the premier league so I think the question is less, why did you take off Hazard? And more, why did you even start Morata? When you had your fluid three against Barcelona of Willian, Hazard, and... Pedro. Pedro. Did Pedro yeah. start against Barcelona? Yeah, he mm-hmm. did, yeah. Yeah. When you, when you had such an effective fluid 
attack with your uh, false nine system against Barcelona. Why are you playing with a static? Well, I don't want to describe Morata as static because he's pretty fluid when he wants to be. Um, with a more direct system against Manchester United's back four. When we know Manchester United's back four, they can't handle fluid movement. We know that Ashley Young's not a left back. We know that Chris Smalling is a. I said it. I'm sorry. Um, we know that Chris. <laughs> So let me, don't don't put that in. We know that Chris Smalling has leave, 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 leave it to leave it to leave it to. <laughs> we know that Chris Smalling has difficulties with uh with with fluid attacks. Uh, it 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 baffles me that they went with such a direct option from as a plan A, because Olivier Giroud is a better striker than Morata right now. This is the first season Morata has played more than fifteen hundred minutes mm-hmm. of, of football, and he looks like it. He looks confused and low on confidence, and I'm wondering. What what's the plan B for the attack? Because if your plan B is to replace Morata with Giroud, then it's more or less a like for like. Yeah, I I understand what you're saying, Carl. Um, personally, that game against United, I didn't think Morata was awful. I kind of feel that, obviously, because of his recent form over the past few weeks, I think maybe the slight build up, this negative build up, has been you know leading towards this game in a way. I felt that here's the thing though with Giroud's me and I, I don't really understand why people think he's a great striker because again I've already seen him play two games where he's missed easy chances and it's almost as if we're forgetting Giroud's history in the Premier League. I mean this guy's been known for missing ridiculous chances, not making decisive uh, goals happen, and you know, obviously not taking responsibility in those key moments. Yeah, I mean the only benefit and the only thing that will help him, you know, his career obviously prolong a bit is the fact that he does complement our system in the fact that Giroud likes players playing close to him. But here's the thing with Giroud, and I think this whole City game too really summed it up. A lot of times with our strikers, they have to receive the ball on the halfway line. You know, when Conte has a team dropping deep to defend off the ball, but then he has no pace to cover that ground up again. And I and I think against United, when Conte's thinking, obviously, well, there, there will be times where we are going to be on our own half. Giroud's not going to be my counter-attacking plan. And I think really Giroud is just, he's going to be the plan B. But I think if Conte wants to make him, uh, you know, use him effectively, he needs to know when to bring him on at the right time. I mean, those subs he made against United were taking off uh, Hazard immediately and then panicking and then throwing on um, Fabregas and Giroud. I mean, the midfield was gone. You took off uh, Moses so you can play Aspie on the right. Aspie does what on the right? Absolutely nothing. So um, Giroud, he isn't the solution. If he was to play more regularly, people would be moaning about him already, in my opinion. But um, I just think with Morata, now I've been calling this since before we signed him. I made videos. I said, everyone, listen, Morata's finishing this pool. He's a confidence-driven player. And that thing, that point you made about how he is descent towards referees, yeah, that's part of his style. I said, you know what, Morata's 25. It's his first time playing as a first-choice striker in his entire career. He made his debut at 18 or 17 at Real Madrid. Taking him seven, eight years to be a first choice striker, coming to the Premier League in a new system. Uh, you, you know what? So, this was going to be a learning curve. So, maybe because I've seen it as that, I'm not too critical of Morata. I'm going to be more critical of him next year when he's, you know, got used to the team or his environment, the system, the league. Because I kind of feel with certain things like him falling down a lot of times. Well, if you're a striker in the Liga, you know, the referee culture is different. You get fouls just like that. In the Premier League, even when you should be getting a foul, you're not getting that. So I think I think that really just sums up that it's, it's a learning experience for him for this year. And I kind of feel, you know what, this thing in football where people can't be patient anymore. I remember, I, I don't know, I, I kind of feel Murat as a player to have patience with. And I think we're going to need him more than a Giroud's for this season. Just, just, just to quickly add, is it me or like with the 
wing backs in the game completely garbage. I mean, Moses tried to do something, and I keep reminding people that Moses isn't a wing back, he's actually an attacking wing. But for me, Alonso was ineffective. Mm-hmm. Young and um, Valencia were crap. These guys literally did nothing. <laughs> because when I was, I was watching the game, I said, wait a minute, my God, like these wing backs, because the ball was being placed to the wing back so often that I said, these wing backs are literally doing nothing. And which is why it was it's made the game so weird to watch because it was just like, okay, you lose the ball, you lose the ball, a cross from deep going nowhere. And you're like, wait, what the hell is happening? So to Nini's points about Morata, Morata is technically very good. The guy yeah. is a very, very good player. But I was thinking, he needs like an arm around the shoulder and he's very much a form player. As of right now, he's not really in form. But my goodness, I will say this 10 times out of 10, Morata is a better striker than Giro. Giro is the yeah. secondary striker. No way. If you're a big club, there's no way in hell Giroud should be a starting striker if you're a big club. No way. Giroud is a secondary, secondary striker. Exactly. He's in the club. He hasn't been a first-choice starter for two years now. He's got a lot of miles on the clock and should not ever be your starting option if you're a team that wants to win the Premier League. But Giroud as a plan B coming off the bench, fine. The problem is your plan A is someone that can do all the stuff Giroud can do but can't do it because he's, he's not in form. The point about the wingbacks is really interesting, Hope, because as you said, well, I wouldn't call Manchester United's fullbacks crap. I'd call them one-dimensional. You know, Ashley Young's not a natural left-back. Uh, I keep bringing this up when I saw him at Wembley against Trippier, against Spurs. Trippier just peeled off him every single time, and Ashley Young didn't know where he was, and the overlap was there every single time. And Antonio Valencia hasn't got a left foot, so you know if you can keep him off that right foot, he can't really whip the ball in. It should be easy for a top-six side to keep Manchester United's fullbacks pinned back which begs the question why Chelsea's wingbacks didn't do that. And, and I think we're, we're going to come to blows about this, both for the rest of this Premier League season and for the World Cup going forward. Well, maybe not the World Cup, because maybe then Moses will, someone will slacken the reins off him. But Victor Moses, very, very good, very, very diligent doing his defensive work, but he did not offer much going forward. And a game where your opposition fullback is actually young, you should be offering a lot more going forward. I do want to stop talking about how weird Chelsea were and move the conversation on to how, I don't want to say good Manchester United were, but how needed that victory was for Manchester United. So for the first time, it felt big that United went up with a 4-3-3. It felt particularly interesting that it was announced. It came down through the tannoy on Old Trafford and playing in a 4-3-3 is Manchester United. So it felt like a pointed message from Mourinho to many of his critics that Pogba was playing on the left of a 4-3-3. Obviously, I think the plan was to play Ander Herrera as one of the men in the middle 4-3-3, but he got injured against Sevilla. So Scott Matomine got that role. And United, on balance, probably deserved that win. Uh, it, it was it was really needed performance for like a lot of people at United, I think. Pogba really needed that to play on the left of the 4-3-3. And he, I think he, it was one of his better games as a United guy. He pretty much ran that midfield. And he gave, the battles he had with Kante were very, very interesting. Lukaku really needed that goal. And you could really see it. I think two things about Lukaku were particularly interesting for me. One was the goal and the celebration. Um, the assist was fantastic as well. It, that assist for Lingard's goal is the exact sort of thing Lingard should be doing for Lukaku. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also it was the run at the end. So just off the corner when Lukaku has the ball and he's surging down past the centre circle and it looked like he might even up for a 3-1 result and uh, eventually Christensen blocked it. That mm-hmm. got a, one of the biggest cheers of the game because that was Lukaku taking the ball, running at pace, and uh, helping secure the victory. It, it was one of those things that you used to see Didier Drogba do when uh, yes. you guys were spoiling Barcelona. 
Yeah. Sort of sort of running from left back and just taking the charge. I kind of felt that Lukaku was looking like a young Drogba in a way, especially when he was able to obviously go out wide to receive the ball as well. That cross he played in, that was that was Drogba-esque in terms of the delivery from our wides. And um, I mean, I've always had this kind of theory that I think Mourinho was slowly trying to adapt Lukaku's game a bit, just as how, how he did to Drogba, because they were both really similar players when they were younger. You know, they liked to play on the shoulder of defenders and, you know, run the channels and stuff like that. But then when Mourinho taught them how to obviously play as a target man as well, it just improved the overall game. And I think, honestly, I don't get why Lukaku gets criticised so much. So the interesting thing about Lukaku in the last couple of games that I've seen him now is that his knockdown game and his target man game is getting really, really good. He's getting better at winning those goal kicks and knocking it down. But obviously, there are less people around him to collect the ball. And that's the most frustrating thing. You're not a bad target man if you keep winning the ball and no one's around to pick off the scraps. But you're a good target man if you can knock it down and then there's, oh, look, there's one of your wingers to pick it up. Um, and the change in the 4-3 really helped uh, Lukaku this this game. Alexis Sanchez still looks a little bit lost in the system, playing on the right. He still looks like he's got a, more or less a free roll. But a lot of the, the balls that Lukaku was knocking down were being picked up by Martial and being picked up by Pogba. Um, it was almost diamond-like uh, midfield when Manchester United were in possession. So when Lukaku would win the ball, there was Pogba as, as you, you a 10-like figure. Then Martial was quite close to him. And then Sanchez, when he was, was almost in this free attacking role. So it kind of looked like a 4-3-1-2. Mm-hmm. That's enough numbers. Yeah. Um, when, when United were in possession when getting the ball. And that plays more to Lukaku's strengths because he's not going to be able to yeah. trap the ball. You know, we know Lukaku's first touch isn't great. But if he's got more players around him, they can play off his slightly dodgy first touch and they can pick up the scraps. And it, the closer Pogba can play off Lukaku and play off Martial, fantastic. Martial was fantastic on Sunday. And I think his close control in the penalty area is, is the best that United have. He's the best player doing that sort of thing. And I think the way he set up Lukaku's goal was very similar to the way he set up um, the first goal against Arsenal at the Emirates. Um, so he's he's fantastic at doing that. Carl, can I ask you, uh, Art Amadeus asks, is Scott McTominay the missing piece in United's midfields? No. <laughs> he gave a 6 out of 10 performance. He shot the ball very well. He did the simple things well. His job was to to man mark Eden Hazard. He was nowhere near as good at doing that as Ander Herrera. Hazard created four great chances. He was the best player on Chelsea's on the Chelsea side. That's not Scott's fault, but that's because Eden Hazard's fantastic. And uh, if you watch the first the Williams goal, Scott he makes a smart decision of going to close down Hazard when the counter attack begins, but he doesn't realize that Williams steaming behind him. Something I found particularly interesting was how. Uh, I mean, this is this is the second game in a row for Chelsea that Christiansen's had, you know, played really well for most of it and had maybe one blunder. And yeah. Christiansen's only twenty-one. Yeah, and it's it's interesting how this race for top four is putting increased expectations onto players who are twenty-one. Is Scott is twenty-one as well? Onto twenty-one-year-olds, like yeah. Scott's a twenty-one-year-old defensive midfielder, and uh, Christensen's a twenty-one-year-old centre back. Uh, it's yeah. ridiculous to expect eight out of ten performances for both of these players. I think yeah. they're both doing very, very well based on their age, yeah. and and the mistakes they're making aren't these are bad players. It's just you're twenty-one and you napped for half a second, and now you, and then you got punished, which happens in the top half. Was Lukaku in the Brick Academy, and does that performance get him out? Perhaps. No, I'm not done with Lukaku, but. That performance does get him suspended. So he's now currently on suspension from the Brick Academy. But at the end of the day, you have to be consistent. I still don't see 
a great player there. I still don't see a big game player there because it's all well and good doing that for that one game. But can you now do it on a dependable, consistent basis, which is the issue? And for me, Lukaku can never, ever get to the heights of Drogba. No way. Never even come close to what Drogba was able to do. Because I don't I just don't think his skill set, the skill set of him is not there. Like it's there in flashes. But it's not it's not there fully in during the, the 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 ninety minutes because like you can't fear Lukaku. You should be able to because of the strength he has, the power he has, the his shooting ability, his his finishing, and how he can sort of hold up play. But because he's he's not able to discipline himself and mature himself to be able to keep on doing it game after game and find those different pockets and those different places within a match to really sort of be effective. That, that's the issue. But again, look, if you can prove me wrong, but I just I just don't think he will prove me wrong. This is question is from Chelsea Talk. Uh, question for Nini. Should mm-hmm. Bashawai stay at Dortmund? Um, yes, he should stay at Dortmund. Um, the, I keep making this point. I've been saying this point about Mitchley since last year. He just doesn't complement the system. I, I've always felt when you see the top strikers, the reason why they look even better is because they're complementing the team. You know, they're like the icing on the cake. And, um, you know, what Conte wants from Mitchley in terms of dropping deep, linking up the play, uh, working hard, that's not Mitchley's game. Mitchley's about running the channels, foxing the books. I mean, that's how he made his career. So um, I knew the minute he went to Dortmund, I knew he'd be an instant success because he suits how they play. I feel that until maybe Chelsea get maybe a new manager or Conte promises to use him in a different way, I think it's best to stay at Dortmund, where you play week in, week out, get a chance to improve, and obviously you can let the world know how much of a good player you are. Do you guys think at the World Cup that Bashawai would be a better match for Belgium system than Lukaku? Or do you think Lukaku will still take the number one spot? Like, as of right now, based on what he's doing for Dortmund and what he will be doing, if they're both fit, shouldn't you start with Bashawai over Lukaku? I keep telling you. Belgium shouldn't start either one of these guys. Well, Martins, yeah. Well, you need Dries Mertens. Dries Mertens, false nine, Hazard on one side. No, 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 no. Then, then Belgium will lose. False nine only works with either Spain or a Messi-led Barcelona. Those are the only teams that should use the false nine. Nobody else knows how to play the what, system. What was Luis Suarez doing in, in Liverpool's last season? He's a striker. <laughs> he, was playing, he was playing as a false nine, bringing in Sturridge no, 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 and Sterling. No, no. Suarez was a striker. He was he wasn't a false nine. He was, he was a striker. What do you think a false nine is? A false nine is you you don't have a striker. The midfielders you have all ghost in into the striking position. But what you have are midfielders who are very smart. Hence why Spain in Euro 2012, they went there with no strikers, which meant that you had all these amazingly talented midfielders who were extremely smart. Great you can play a false nine with a striker. No. <laughs> no. Yes, you can. Yes, no. you can, Hope. Sorry. A false nine is not a formation where you're not playing without a recognized striker. That is nonsense. A false nine is a system where your striker drops deep to create space in the gap between one of the center backs and one of the fullbacks. It is not any lineup without a recognized striker. The false nine was originally used in the early 30s and 50s, the flying Magars of the... Hung- Excuse me? <laughs> I'm going to give you a history lesson here. I'm going to give you... Yeah, I'm going to give you a history of the false nine here. So, like, the... Look, man, Carl, you have to stop reading these, these false books, man. Trust me. Just, <laughs> just, just tune into the Half of Football Hearts and stop reading these, these books. They are, Hope, they are you feeding you wrong. You keep saying you are the greatest analysis. And I am. When, yeah, I try, I, I when am. I'm trying to give you stats about the false nine, you're just dismissing it, right? Okay, so, okay, Carl, right. what's the false right. nine? 
So it, it is not it is not a system without a recognized striker. It is what you ask from the I don't want to say a tip of the spear because the tip of the spear doesn't necessarily work as a tip. What he does is he drops deeper, which pulls out some of your center backs from position. The first modern iteration of the false nine of the post nineteen ninety two era, like the first proper good player to be doing this was Francesco Totti. Mm-hmm. So Francesco Totti starts doing this yeah. in around about two thousand seven. His pace starts to go and he realizes if he stands in the gap between the left back and the center back what it does is it cr- the center back has to pull out to try and pick up totty and what that does is it creates further space behind for midfielders and other players to jump in so that's what totty started doing in 2007 when it comes on a little bit later on um another great person to do it was at barcelona before messi started doing it at barcelona idiga johnson was doing it for barcelona so he was sort of the beta stage for Barcelona to do it. This was on the right card. So Johnson very often just stand in that little gap, cause the centre-back to drop out and then Samuel will drop, will speed in and try and do his thing. Again, and Ronaldinho would do his thing. So that was that. Then it gets to Messi. Messi was, you know, fantastic playing on the left, playing on the left with Eto and uh, Henri and or Johnson and or Ronaldinho and whatnot. And then on the Guardiola, Guardiola went, do you want to try doing this false nine stuff? Would you want to watch tapes of Francesco Totti? And he's like, okay, fine. And again, same thing. Messi's trying to stand in this half gap between the centre-back and the full-back. And the idea is the player causes the centre-back to pull out of position, which causes extra space for the other players to jump in. But also something that's very much required of the false nine is in the event the other players can't exploit that gap, the false nine should be of technical ability to beat that centre-back from that deep position. So when Suarez was doing it for Liverpool, Suarez would stand in that position Get the centre-back one-on-one. And Suarez has a very particular dribbling style. There's a fantastic description of Suarez's dribbling style in um, Mundial magazine. There's an article from Sam Disc called A Brief History of Seven Nutmegs, which describes how Suarez runs. So Cristiano Ronaldo runs upright. So he runs at you like a sprinter. Uh, Sergio Aguero runs at you crouched. So he like runs at you like ball. Suarez runs at you slightly tilted towards you. So at any point in time, he has a very unorthodox running style. So sometimes his head is closer to you and then he leans back and you don't really quite know how close Suarez is to you. So he's very, very good at hitting your one-on-ones, which means he can beat centre-backs in one-on-ones. This is why he embarrassed David Luiz twice in that uh, PSG game. So one, Suarez can destroy you on the one-on-one dribble if he isolates you in that position. Two, you've got Sterling and you've got Daniel Sturridge when Daniel Sturridge, before Daniel Sturridge got Space Jam running into those gaps. Three, you've got Gerrard behind you pumping balls over. That's what a false nine can do. It is not any formation where you don't have a recognised striker and people are like interchanging. It is a very particular thing of the guy who's meant to be your number nine dropping deep, isolating your centre-back, allowing space for people to attack and then hopefully that, and if that fails, your number nine can beat that centre-back on the one-on-one. That is what a false nine is. Carl, that was an absolutely amazing description. Showed a lot of depth and just shows what an amazing, knowledgeable guy you are of the game. And I humbly reject everything you just said. <laughs> and I still accept my view. But still, and I know that was, that was an, an, an amazing description. It's just that I, I reject everything you said, but I do still think that's an amazing description. <laughs> moving on thanks for the black panther review you guys should do more like that so yeah if you've seen black panther there's something on the in the feed or on the soundcloud that we hashtag did, so. killmonger was right <laughs> uh my questions are will Conte stay past this season and do you want him to stay also back to movies what are your favorite sports movies so uh will Conte stay past this season and do we want him to stay 
with Conte, I mean, it's always depended on Conte. I mean, uh, people need to lose this mentality that the, the board are threatening to sack him. Chelsea board, they're not the same anymore. You know, they don't want to have to pay ridiculous amounts of money to sack managers. They're not trying to do that. Twice now they've offered Conte uh, a new contract, which he's rejected because Conte wants his uh, assurances first. But um, it's going to come down to Conte, whether he wants to stay or whether he doesn't want to. So, um, so yeah, that's that. In my opinion, do I want Conte? Here's the thing. I don't have anything against the guy personally. You know what I mean? But I just think from a tactical aspect, I think that Chelsea need a completely different uh, you know, evolution, basically. We can't continue the same way because maybe the fan part of me gets a bit bored seeing some of our performances. I kind of feel that we don't use a system that necessarily complements all the players we possess to their maximum potential. And nope. um, I, exactly, we definitely don't. And uh, I, I'll make this point. I mean, is it any surprise that every guy that gets sold by Chelsea ends up having an amazing career and then everyone starts raving about them later on? And that point about Salah, I wanted to actually touch on that, I mean, way early on during this podcast. Now, when Mourinho was using this guy, he was using him as a winger that had to track back. Salah is an inside forwards. He, of course, Carl gave that great uh, answer on, um, you know, what a false nine is. I mean, it's no surprise why <laughs> Liverpool are doing so amazing and why Salah gets on the end of most of these uh, attacks. It's because obviously like, Firmino does uh, the same thing as well. You know, that's how you use a player in their correct way. This is why I say that we need a new tactical system. We need new changes at this club because we would never use a player like that in that in their proper position like that. If Salah was playing under Conte, um, I'm sure that he wouldn't even be playing as much. And He'd have to work a lot more on his off-the-ball work rate than what he can provide, obviously, further up. But I think De Bruyne was another example. Imagine thinking De Bruyne is a lazy player. Well, that's what most Chelsea fans were thinking during that season when he was sold. You know, certain managers that we keep signing only care about what people do uh, with their work rate when they're running back to goal. But then I think we want I want a manager that cares about the work rate players have when they're running towards the goal. And I think that's what we need at this club. It's, it's one of those things where it depends on if Chelsea get top four this year. Because who do Chelsea get if Chelsea aren't in the Champions League? I think you know what I mean? Of, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, that's the thing. I think we need to just like forget this mentality of needing guys with a proven CV. I mean, really with managers, uh, you know, if there's so many managers with different styles. And, you know, we could easily sign a manager... That I mean, it's just not about winning. I mean, look at Valverde, for example. Yeah, he what he won the league in Greece. That that doesn't mean anything. I and mean, and not Barca unbeaten in the league so far. If I had my dream signing, my dream dream one, which I know won't happen, but that would be Pochettino if I could. But I mean, there's a few out there. Um, I'm looking at um, I mean, I'm I'm hearing fantastic things of Francesca from Shakhtar. He's a guy I wanna uh, I'm gonna try watch a few Shakhtar games if I can to really understand what they're doing. They're good, man. Those guys. Like, I watched them against Roma. Yeah. I mean, although they are Brazilian sports. Mm-hmm. They do play some very nice, nice football, man. They play some nice football. Exactly, and I kind of feel that maybe that's the approach leading towards the future. Because I mean, if you look at football these days, uh, remember back in the day, like ten years ago, like a defensive performance was having forty percent possession. Now these days, teams that defend, they're happy to have twenty percent or less if it mm. means they can get a victory. No one cares about the ball as much, so that's an extreme. And I think to fight these extremes, you need to obviously combat them. With your own attacking ones, I think the reason why it's such a struggle these days to break down um, for defensive teams to get any success anymore is the fact that there aren't many wingers these days, and they're more like inside forwards. You know, guys playing on the half spaces. This is why your Ericsons and the Bruyne's have careers now and stuff like that. Just because yeah. Nini just made a very great point, an amazing point. 
Like, let me ask you guys, when last did a defensive team win the Champions League? Probably us. A defensive probably, team. Pro- probably 2012, yeah. What do you mean by a defensive team? Because they've been... Because... <laughs> what do you mean by false nine? What do you mean by defensive? Here we because, go, Carl. What do you because... mean by defensive? Because Real Madrid just won back-to-back Champions Leagues playing what I would describe as counter-attacking football, which yeah. counter-attacking football is essentially defence. And I suck you in, I spit you out. Carl, you're really not going to tell me Real Madrid are a defensive team. Please. No, I'm not. I'm not. Please. I'm saying, what do you mean by defensive? Because Real Madrid are playing yeah. a style of football that relies okay. on them. Events last season, that's a defensive team where their main foundation is based upon their defence. They, they build upon their, their defence. Yes, they can attack, but they, their, their main focus is building upon their defence and stopping it from scoring. Hence, what events did to Barcelona, not allowing them to score a single goal in 120 or 180 minutes. The AC Milan team of the 90s, AC Milan team of 2010 and so forth, those are defensive teams. When you say defensive, would you say a team where their defensive qualities are superior to their attacking qualities? Nah, nah, for me, a defensive team for me is a team where you don't really see their counter-attacking plan. When, when, they're, when they're on their counter-attack, they're not looking to flood men forward. You know, mm-hmm. They're not looking to press in their opposition half at times when they need to. That's what I mean by defensive. A team that's, I mean, I hate the word park the bus, but I mean, a team that will literally just camp in their own half, keep very compact in the middle and just look to minimize the threat instead of focusing on having like a counter-attacking plan of their own you know how i'm on this podcast i always i always appreciate being specific in the terms we're using so you know if you look at most successful football teams the team that wins the premier league is often the team with the best defensive record so to say when was the last time a defensive team won well you know city are top and also city have conceded the least amount of goals when you mean a defensive team you know your example of juventus locking up barcelona is a good one because juventus are known for their defensive qualities more so than their attacking qualities yes they have dabala yes they have higuain yes they have Mandzukic. but when you think juventus you think buffon and cellini cool but also at the same time, when you when you look at how Real Madrid won those two Champions Leagues, I'm like, yeah, yeah, they got Ronaldo. But at the same time, Ramos was the clutch guy. But but would you but you can't define them as a defensive team. Yeah, maybe when when they went away in their second legs, they were very counter. I soak up pressure and counter. But my gosh, look at that final. In that final, they flipping attacked Juventus for pretty much 90 minutes. They they attacked the hell out of them. Say no, we are playing expansive football and we're here to flip and attack you. Real Madrid, you're not going to call them like a defensive-minded team who will soak up pressure and attack with two, three, four guys. When they attack, they attack me with their wing backs. Modric is going forward, and their guys going forward trying, 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 trying to hit you. Um, will Conte stay past this season? I think that's hard to tell in this moment. And you know, this it's it's not even Conte's fault. It kind of goes to what Nini said. Like, I don't have anything against him. I just don't think he's a fit for what Chelsea's are attempting to do in this moment and kind of this the second. Abramovich era, if you want to call it that, like yeah. we're we're not going for fifty million, sixty million, seventy million, eighty million players anymore. They're trying to find, you know, players within a certain price range that hopefully become good, and that no that normally prices you out of the elite talent in Europe. So you have to go for young talent that could be good, and you have to have managers who are willing to kind of nurture young talent. And I don't think Conte and going before, I don't think Mourinho, if we can look at, you know, Lukaku, De Bruyne, Salah, the, the list is as long as my arm. These managers aren't interested in nurturing and developing talent. They want finished articles. I, I think Chelsea need a manager that's more like that. So I would look at someone like Tuchel, perhaps, although his relationship with Dortmund's board might scare Chelsea. 
in a way, like we don't want somebody who's going to be combative with us. But yeah. I feel like he has that. I'll, I'll work with what I have instead of I want what I want mentality. Yeah. Um, so I would rather have that. And and also we would need, I think the club needs a technical director and there's a whole bunch of things we could talk about, but let's move on. Um, Didn't the guy ask favorite sports film? Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, favorite sports movies. I mean... Mighty Dogs, Any Given Sunday. Those are my two. <laughs> I would say Space Jam. I would say... Also Major League as well. Major League. That's a little classic as well. Remember the Titans? Uh, I'll say it's not not a not a film, but uh, I'm a big fan of Friday Night Lights. I think well, it was a film and it was a TV show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the TV show of Friday Night Lights is my favorite TV show of all time. Yeah, and I what? think the oh, the yeah. wire Carl, over Carl, the wire. Carl, the question was <laughs> hey, hey, please let me finish. Please let me finish. Uh, I, I haven't finished the wire. I haven't finished the Primes. And, and, and that can't be a favorite TV show of all time. That doesn't make any sense. So that's a lie. <laughs> go ahead, go, go. Uh, I, I, season season one, episode one of Friday Night Lights is my favorite season one, episode one of anything ever. I like any any given Sunday. I think it's kind of corny, but I like it. Al Pacino's speech at the end is great. Uh, I like Mighty Ducks. I like Mighty Ducks too. I even like Mighty Ducks three. Um, <laughs> uh, most football slash soccer. It's football as in soccer films are quite bad. Horrible. What, what 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 is the best football film? Does it even it, exist? Don't don't, don't say goal because goal is the victory. It's the victory. Is pretty good. Oh, well, we yeah, 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 good. Yeah. Not great. Yeah. Not great. In a bad way. If Ben like Beckham counts, it's, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. It, came, it, it came on TV the other day, and I watched it. Probably my sports film is probably The Waterboy. If does that count? That's it. That's, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> you know my mom actually loves that movie like oh my gosh i totally forgot no sorry my because i totally forgot it counts easily not only favorite sporting but one of the funniest films ever happy gilmore oh yeah yeah classic classic one of the funniest characters in any film shooter mcgavin <laughs> So yeah, uh, any any other movies come to mind, guys? Stuff like Coach Carter. I like I like movies oh, like that. Yeah, how can I forget that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, that was a serious film back in the day. Um. So yeah, this question is from Mason Boris. Do we all agree that Arsenal were robbed yesterday? No. <laughs> City should have been down to ten men. No. Arsenal should have had a penalty in the first ten minutes. No. And their second goal was one hundred percent offside. Mm. City did not even play well. That's facts. City didn't play that great, and you still lost 3-0. But, uh, okay. Was there any point for that, really? That's why I said in my point, like, time is precious in this world, my, my guys. Time is precious. We could, we, could, we could get clacked at any point moment. Don't waste your time. That was a waste of my time. Like, literally, Arsenal, you didn't show up. And do you know, do you know the funniest thing? I was reading online that, um, you know, there were like four minutes added on, and Wenger asked the fourth official that. How come it's only four minutes? And the fourth official then said to himself that, why would you want more time? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, no, no. I mean, for Arsenal, it's disgraceful, embarrassing. And in the second half, they quit. Like, if you're an Arsenal fan, you pay all that money, you go with your family, and you see your team quit. That is egregious. You know, every time I see a 3-0 scoreline, I'm like, why didn't you guys just forfeit? 
Because, like, on FIFA, if you just quit the game in the first three minutes, they give you a 3-0 defeat and you just move on with life. Mm-hmm. I have to sit there and watch for, like, 90 minutes. Uh, if you include halftime, that's another 15, 20 minutes. So that's, what, 110 minutes plus stoppage time. 115 minutes, basically, of my life wasted by Arsenal and Arsene Wenger, which isn't for the first time. I wonder how much time, if you add up how many Arsenal games you've watched, that they just wasted everyone's time. Could I please bring up Jack Wilshere's Instagram comment this evening? Please. Um, So Jack Wilshere has responded to the 3-0, and I will quote verbatim, hard to put into words my emotions about yesterday, full stop. City are a good team and deserve to win yesterday, full stop. A lot of people have had their spelling error, say on us and we have to accept <laughs> criticism spelling mistake when we lose full stop that being said i can't accept some of the decisions that went against us yesterday full stop whatever you say about the first goal it's typo a foul full stop <laughs> <laughs> the second goal is offside full stop there should have been a second yellow in the first half full stop yes this happens in football but it's typo Still hard to accept. Full stop. Yes, it happens in football, but it's typo. Still hard to accept. Full stop. And people will say we are looking for excuses, but these are facts. Full stop. (laughs) These are facts. Anyway, we need to respond starting on Thursday. Full stop. Thanks to all the gooners for the support and trust. And trust me, we feel the same, but we need to stick together. Red emoji. Oh, Jack was just saying, people were saying we are looking for excuses, but these are facts, is uh, particularly interesting. So let's look at the facts that Jack Wilshire talks about. Whatever you say about the first goal, it's a foul. He's, Jack Wilshire says it's a fact. It's not a fact. It's an opinion. So the first goal, very, very simple, uh, long ball from Claudio Bravo. For some reason, Mustafi doesn't get goal side of Aguero. Aguero, as the ball is coming over, looks at Mustafi, pushes Mustafi, Mustafi realizing there's an elbow in his back, then throws his hands up and gestures to the referee asking for a foul. By this point in time, Aguero has the ball and has gunned towards the goal. Ospina, otherwise known as Dustin Dave from Arsenal fans, because apparently he looks... <laughs> Whoa, cool. what the hell? <laughs> Arsenal fans call Ospina... <laughs> That's offensive. That's messed up, man. Arsenal fans call him Dustin Day because he looks like a bin man. That's messed up. The guy has a family. That's messed up. Ospina is bin. Nah, nah, nah. No respect. That's that's, 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 that's messed up. That's messed up. No. Nah. Nah, 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 nah. Call him Ospina. Don't call him as also known as. Call him Ospina. So carry on. Ospina. Okay. Is, okay. I'm Ospina back. Okay. Whew. No man's land. Not realizing whether or not he should charge out against Aguero or retreat back to his goal. It's called no man's land. And Aguero then chips Ospina with a fantastic finish. Right. Uh, Jack Horshaw says, whatever you think of the first goal, it's a foul. It's not a foul. What it is, is your star centre-back not getting goal side from a goal kick, in uh-huh. inexcusable defending. Your star centre-back, rather than playing to the whistle, which is what you've all been taught since the age of five, complains for a foul not getting back. And it's your goalkeeper, your second-string goalkeeper, getting caught in no-man's land and being outdone by a superb finish. So, Jack, you say that's a fact. It's not. It's an opinion. And you have the wrong opinion. The second goal is offside. 
of this one, it's a particularly interest. Um, VAR was used in the League Cup final. So the argument is that Leroy Sane, when the ball is played and reaches uh, Vincent Company, Leroy Sane is in an offside position and is in on uh, Ospina's eye line. To which, uh, it was on Sky Sports United Kingdom, Craig Bellamy pointed out if Leroy Sane was indeed in Ospina's eye line, Ospina would not have moved towards where he believed the ball was going to go. So Ospina goes to his right and then uh, Company's uh, shot goes to his left. And he more or less gets, uh, I don't want to say blindsided, but I think that's an appropriate term. If that was true, the, where Sane was, Sane wouldn't be able to be in the eye line to make Ospina dive from that direction and have the ball going the other, opposite direction. So basically, that's untrue as well. And also, if it was true, VL would have spotted it. Sorry, Jack, not a fact, just an opinion. Seems to be the wrong one as well. There should have been a second yellow in the first half. Gentlemen, do you want to discuss this one? Because I don't know what he's talking to. Absolutely disgraceful excuses. And that's the, that's the issue. When your manager and one of your senior players like Jack Wilshire are coming up with excuses, oh, no, it didn't happen. When Because if they had played well, they were unlucky and they lost, then you can maybe say, oh, well, you know, but you played so badly that you are in no place. You have no place or no right to even talk about ex- excuses. So, which is, and as, as Carl rightfully said, I think that's, look, man, you have to just play to, to, to the flipping whistle, man. And I think, look, for Arsenal, embarrassing. Embarrassing, embarrassing, embarrassing. Take that defeat. Take, take, take the L. City didn't even play that well. If Arsenal were on their game, Arsenal could have easily beaten City that day. Now, City were obviously not really clicking as, as well as they normally do. I mean, yeah, I mean, that Mustafi incident, for example, I keep seeing too many defenders this, these days make that same mistake. I think at Chelsea, Rudiger does this quite a lot. They get caught underneath these crossfield balls and crosses way too much. I mean, I don't understand how that happens at this level. I don't understand how you misjudge the elevation of the ball. It makes no sense to me. And um, you, you brought up Rudiger Mustafi. Is it a German thing? Uh, that's what I was thinking because I remember against Barca. Now, the reason why the equaliser even happened was the fact that Rudiger got caught underneath that pass made to Suarez um, for Messi. I don't understand how Rudiger was out of position that f- that far ahead. I mean, really, he should have stuffed that out pretty simply. And uh, the fact that he didn't cause all that kerfuffle at the back and... um. Maybe it's maybe it's how they're taught to defend these uh, cross balls. I'm not too sure, but um, I mean, I'd have to see a few more German defenders before I start mm. saying it's a German thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two players is not a yeah. pattern. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. We saw Agüero making contacts. He did uh, push Mustafi. I mean, strikers are going to do that. I don't. First of all, Mustafi should have ne- should never push out that far in the first place. And if you are going to milk it, because he puts his hands up straight after. You've got to fall on the floor when you're feeling it. You know what I mean? Mm. And uh, he didn't do that. And yeah, and honestly, I see Arsenal do that every single time. They're the only uh, supposedly top team where you can just play balls through the middle and you can get on the end of them. And I don't understand. I mean, to be honest, I've always felt all of Arsenal's defenders just aren't top six quality, really. I've always thought Kachelny is very overrated. Very, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and sure. I, and one thing I don't I can't stand about them too is the fact that you know every time there's a big game they're never there at all. They 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 miss every decisive tackle, decisive header, decisive moment. And um, I I do kind of blame this on Wenger though, and it's weird because I do respect this about him because you know with how ruthless modern day football is, he has loyalty to his players. I mean, for example, remember the likes of you as Rizikis, uh, Jabi's players like that, where. Any other club would have got rid of them straight away because they're barely playing. 
they're hogging up the wages. But no, Wenger kept them and kept them and kept them. Regardless if he knew they were going to come back in time or not. And um, I mean, I respect that about him. But I think, of course, by having that mentality, that can come at the detriment because then you're not ruthless enough when you need to be. And I think that, um, I mean, I think really that's why Wenger's uh, his failings have been exasperated even more. He's just not ruthless enough to get rid of guys who aren't performing enough. So the first goal is is a terrible defensive mistake. The second goal is Vincent Company hounding down Arsenal, winning a yeah. corner and then converting it. And the third goal is just a bit of magic from David Silva, who I think should go down as one of the best players the Premier League's ever seen. I agree. Um, yeah. but, okay, uh, any comment on David Silva? No, 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 no. David Silva is very, very good. But remember, the Premier League has had some amazing players. Like, if we're going to do as far as tiers... Like tier one, tier two, tier three. Yes, David Silva is in tier tier two. He's not tier one. Could you give me a handful of players you'd also put in tier two for me? Tier two of Premier League all time. Just quickly. I'd put Aspria. I'd put probably put Gigi Nola in tier tier two. Uh-huh. Decanio. Put him uh-huh. in, in tier two. So yeah. Okay. Those, those are the right. there. And are you not going to tell me that David Silva is better than Decanio? I'd say so, but it's it's your it's your it's your ranking. So I'm gonna let you go for it. I think Silver is top twenty player of all time in the Premier League, but that's my one. Top twenty, yo, hundred. Okay, I'd put it, I'd say top twenty. But if we're now gonna say because they say when he's he's one of the best, I was thinking you're putting him in like top six or. Whoa, guys, top twenty. Oh Since yeah, nineteen ninety two. I've ranked Silva that highly. You see, all you see, you see, all you see, the players, goalkeepers, that is, defenders, midfielders, strikers, top twenty. I rank Silver that highly, guys. Nah, Manchester United have twenty is. better players than him. Over, you could use two clubs. Goals, Cantona, Beckham, oh Rooney. Hey, 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 hey. Like, like, that's five games from one. Please, oh, I mean, on. please. I'm saying this as a Manchester United fan. David that doesn't mean you can't be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> the Premier League has had players, man. Like, I genuinely think David Silva is Alonso. one of the best players the Premier League's ever seen. When we look at the body of work and what he did, what he's done day in, day out for Manchester City, and how he's helped kickstart the evolution of Manchester City along with Yaya Toure, when this is all said and done, and it's 2030, and Manchester City have got five Champions League trophies, and then a Manchester City sister club in Austria has another Champions League trophy. When this is all said and done, we are going to look back on what Yaya Toure and David Silva did to turn Man City from a, we can't get past Aston Villa and Spurs and get in the Champions League spots to, we win Premier League trophies, and we'll go, yeah, those two are their gigs and skulls. Or their... Who's better? Keenan, Who's better? Than, or their Keenan skulls. Yaya or Silva? Um... We are way off off base right now. This is so far beyond the, the original point. Like people, <laughs> um, like, this I've, I've said, tactics. It's what we do. Yeah, I've, said, I've said it before. Peak Yaya is as close as you're ever going to get to peak Zinedine Zidane. That's how much I rank peak, peak Yaya. <laughs> 13, oh, guys, guys. 13, 14 Yaya, I think. Is as that close might, as you're that's the get. best midfielder season in the Premier League, other than maybe Lampard in 9 10. No, 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 no. On that, no, without a question, the best season ever for a midfielder was Yaya Toure 13 14. Not, no season comes close. Even though I'm a Chelsea fan, of course, uh, yeah, of course, Lampard had an incredible season. Mm, I'm not gonna lie, I'm slightly, slightly swaying on Yaya a bit because purely because he kind of single handedly. Won it for City that year. Let's not yeah. forget, you know, the Carling Cup final. Um, who were they playing again? Wigan, weren't they? You know that uh, that trademark Gaia Tory long shot where it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like he's passing it into the net. 
yeah. that, that came from like what 25 was it Wiggins? Yards. no it was, it was it was someone else it was Sunderland maybe Sunderland uh, it, it Sunderland. was it was it was a team in red Devin Silva as top 20 now that's that's too much I will make one final point about Yaya Torre is in that fantastic Yaya Torre season he scored nine goals from free kicks yeah wow you know how most people are like they're kind of vertical to the ball yeah the, the horizontal run up I don't know, just the spin he could get on the ball, it, it was just ridiculous. He scored 20 like, goals that season. He scored five free-kick goals off nine shots, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Amazing. My mistake. Um, uh, who's the better goalkeeper, Courtois or Edison? P.S. Edison. Love your channel, Nini. It's so unique with the depth of your analysis. That's from oh, Blue Lion, S-M-U-P-A-M-B. Courtois. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Courtois for now because I feel that Courtois is kind of like a basketball player in, in, in his own uh, six-yard book. So um, his... his Control of his hands is incredible. No matter how much pressure is put on him when it comes to, let's say, you know, defending from set pieces, I think shot stopping is amazing. But here's the thing: I've always felt that if Courtois was able to pass the ball out from the back, I'd feel he'd be complete. But at the same time, when you look at a lot of these world class players, it's not as if they're elite in every single aspect of their game, you know. So um, I'd, I'd go for Courtois at this moment. Edison's being slept on because the. City pressing system means he has to make less of these death-defying saves right now. I, you know, I think he's the best kicking the ball. I think he can do... Uh, I keep bringing up David Priest. I used to work with him. I think he's fantastic. So like Edison's range of kicking, so he can get it really, really high. He can do these really angled shots, which can start counterattacks, which is pretty much what Bravo did to start that goal again in the League Cup final. He can do side, uh, slice sidewinders, which is something that Pickford's very, very good at. Um, he's got very, very strong wrists, so he can... Uh, deflect a lot of shots in the same way that many of the top goalkeepers can do. Um, something you don't see too often because, you know, City's defence is really, really good. He's very, very brave, as was demonstrated by the fact he took a boot to the head and that he also saved a shot that went straight to his throat in the Manchester United derby. Uh, he's very, very commanding of his six-yard box, as you've seen when he's yelling at uh, John Stones quite often. Something that I am reluctant to call Courtois one of the best in the Premier League is, is his, Courtois' natural hand position when he's goalkeeping is naturally low. When he's just standing there doing stuff, Cortar's hands are not by his waist. They're just slightly up, oh. which means it takes him a little bit longer to get his hands up for any shots to above his shoulders, whereas De Gea and uh, Edison both have their hands at pretty much shoulder height. It's, it's the tiniest thing, but Courtois and Millionaire both came up through the same Belgian... Um, academy and they both have the same natural hand position when they're taking on shots so they're every now and again Courtois and Millie they have shots that just go straight past them because their hands aren't up quickly enough and it's that one thing that leads me to believe Courtois is behind De Gea and Edison as the best goalkeepers in the Premier League but I put I put Courtois slightly ahead of Lloris because Lloris has problems with his near post slightly <laughs> slightly Courtois will get to where he needs to be but I think for now Edison's better Courtois, for me, the amount of one-on-one saves he's made, the amount of difficult saves he's made far exceeds the amount of difficult saves that Edison has made. I couldn't give a crap about how good you are at, at kicking. This is goalkeeping. How good are you at goalkeeping? The other stuff is nice, it's extra, but my thing is, who is the better goalkeeper? Courtois has made better goalkeeping maneuvers and techniques and saves that Edison has done. Therefore, Courtois is the better keeper than Edison. Do you have to give the clap with every oh, syllable? Oh, okay. Next question. Next question. Half hope is a okay. fucking moron. <laughs> you see, Nini, do you see what I have to deal with here on a YouTube basis? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, oh, this my question God. is from Mode VY2. Compared to Kane taking three seasons to be regarded as world class, how long is it going to take Salah? I feel that he's a, a world class player. Um, again, I don't know why everyone's forgotten about his former Roma. I think now that because Liverpool play quicker towards him, Roma are a bit more patient with their possession play. And um, yeah, I think because Salah has more freedom to, obviously, with Firmino being a masterstroke in terms of him dropping deeper and having the space to run into. 31 goals already so far. I think he's proven it already. Um, this question is from Patrick Maduro, who also left a review. Uh, he asked, why don't we see more East African players playing in Europe? Wanyama is the only one that I can remember. Mm. Um, I would put that more down to infrastructure than anything. It, it depends on the culture of the country. Like in Nigeria, football is the main sport and then it's yeah. athletics. In yeah. Africa, athletics is the main sport, and then everything, and then maybe cricket and all of the stuff. So again, again, like I would like people are football mad in Uganda, in Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, wherever. But the infrastructure, I don't think, is this in the same way as it is in you know also Ivory Coast, guys, Nigeria, like, funding is Ghana. Also more focused on yeah. athletics, I think, over there. Yeah, and you also get guys like the transfer. They had the transfers at West Ham. There's that too. <laughs> Facts. Facts. No, no, I, you, you're hundred percent right. I, Remember that? I think there was this uh, documentary based on Asian players, for example, how they struggle to get into academies because of a lot of uh, like antiquated ideas about them. And basically, this comes down to anyone who's like 45, 50 years old plus. They've never, ever played with an Asian before, so then they don't trust them. Mm. Yeah. And also, I, I would say, like, oh, also, uh, Wanyama's different because he's built, like, stocky. But stereotypical East African isn't built in the same way as a West African. You know, they're more wiry, lanky. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess go, going to Carl's point and Nini's point, you don't look at them and think, oh, this guy's, you know, the stereotypical pace, power, strong, powerhouse, that yeah. kind of thing. Just have gone by my yeah. family and people who live um, in Uganda. That's not really how we're built in that way. But maybe, Wanyama is definitely built in that yeah, way. That, is, maybe, I mean, I'm not too sure how it is in league, Gun, but I mean, maybe there's not enough... Uh, uh, connections because I know with a lot of African clubs, it all comes mm. down to working connections with uh, clubs across, you know, in Belgium, France, everywhere. That's normally the key that some of these players need to, to get that opportunity. Maybe there's there isn't that infrastructure there just yet in some of these East African countries. Let's 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 do this one from Ebony F Prince. Is Yannick Carrasco the biggest loss of talent to China as of yet? Uh, Gaitan and Carrasco, Atletico Madrid today or yesterday? Said goodbye to them on their official Twitter account. You have him, you have Oscar. That might, I don't know if Oscar was no, a no, big no, 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 don't, don't, don't mention Oscar. No, 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 Danny, no, no, I really want to make a point here about, yeah, about man, yeah. this transfer deal. Okay. Um, the thing you really have to consider about this, this move. So, yeah. Carrasco and Gaitan are going to the newly promoted Dalian Yifang FC. Yeah. So these guys have come up from the second, second tier in the Chinese league and they've just come up and they've managed to recruit these two players of particular importance is Dalian Wanda as in the Wanda Stadium of mm. Atletico Madrid. Key investors in Atletico Madrid. So yeah. this potentially could be a to use a Premier League parallel, this would be a bit like Melbourne FC nicking Inacho, Inacho and um Phil Foden. So yes, it's a shock. We, you know, Gaitan was for years linked to Manchester United when he was at Benfica, and yeah. Carrasco, you know, he scored in the Champions League final against Real Madrid. And prior to a massive fallout with 
Diego Simeone looked to be one of the key linchpins of the Atletico Madrid side. But there, there have been. It's almost like a sideways loan in the in the Watford or Manchester City system of how they've ended up in China. Um, so I feel as if we have to bring that up when we're talking about this deal. That is very. That's a that's a fantastic point to be honest. So uh, connected. Yeah, yeah, it's connected. Best idea to fix diving in football. Current regulations aren't working well enough, in my opinion. I wonder if this conversation is spawned by what we're seeing at Spurs at the moment. I feel like Kane and Ali are I, yeah. per- perfecting their diving in real time. <laughs> I, I'm giving them about 12 to 18 months, and I think they'll have it down. But in the meantime, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of little incidents where, ah, yeah. Deli Ali, you diver. Um, I, I will say some interesting things about it. These comments came after, you know, Potichino outwardly said diving is part of the game. So this is what we mentioned in the previous podcast. I don't want to describe myself as pro-diving. I'm pro-doing what it takes to win a game of football. So you're pro-diving? Um, yeah, go on then. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, same. I, I really don't care about diving um, in the game as clip at all. I think it's part big, of the game. The big thing Facts. I want, want to say is the big punishment happens in real time. So Deli Ali now is not going to get a penalty he's not going to win a penalty for the rest of the season. That's it. He's done. Uh, once you get found out for being a diver, that's that's you done. Tired of the brush. Now you're going to see players going to be able to kick and beat up Deli Ali for ages. And Deli's going to fall down. He's going to do whatever in the box and he will not get a penalty. And it's going to f- come the same way for Harry Kane if Kane keeps going the way he does as well. Uh, the thing about um, diving and gamesmanship is it relies on you not getting caught because once you get caught and you get a reputation for it, you're going to start picking up yellow cards and you're going to start getting mm-hmm. even decisions that would go your way are going to go against you. So do you remember for most of the last season, I, for most of the, well, the front end of the last season, I was talking about how much I love Ander Herrera. I was talking about how he's a really, really annoying twerp, how he does mm-hmm. so much fouls and he doesn't ever get caught and he doesn't get booked. And then the moment he got sent off in that game, in the FA Cup game against Eden Hazard, that's it. Like, Ander Herrera is useless now because people have caught on to the fact that Ander Herrera is a foully little twerp. Like, once you get caught and get reputation, if that's just, if that's your only USP, you're in so much trouble and you have to learn. So, you know, we've talked about in this podcast for a while about how good the Leicester City players are at diving. Fardy's great at diving. Maris is great at diving. No one's noticed in the Premier League yet. Well, Arsenal fans noticed when they won the Premier League, when Leicester won the Premier League. But you know, when Vardy, when Vardy's not getting the penalty decisions he needs to, he can still affect the game in a really interesting way because he's got that very unique running style and he can hit players at pace. The problem with Deli Ali and the problem Deli's had all season is if Deli Ali's not scoring, he's not doing much. He's not really got had many assists this season. Yeah. His passes aren't coming off. He's not really linking up with uh, Ericsson and Kane with the same crispness. Kane doesn't necessarily have to dive as much because Harry Kane's always going to get four shots on goal a game. So the mm. problem now is Delhi. Delhi needs to figure out what he can do that isn't diving and isn't scoring to affect the game because right now he's, he's not going to get a penalty for the rest of the season. For once you are in the tabloid newspapers yeah. for people talking about you being game a diver... Over. The game yeah. over, game over, even if it's legitimate. And yeah. look, he's going to go to the World Cup and mark my words, he's going to get some stupid yellow cards if he keeps playing this nonsense yeah, football. You're right. I wanted to ask you about Deli Ali. Now, I've kind of always had this theory that he's been using such a very niche role. And I think that because of that role that's been created for him at Spurs, that's how he's been able to be effective. But when you look at his overall game, I'm thinking it's it's not there just yet. And I think, mm-hmm. um, really, he has to be used a bit deeper because I, here's, how, here's how I see it. If if a big team came in for Ali, which I don't think they will, but if they did, where are they going to play him? He's not going to be used out wide. He's not going to be used up front. There's no number 10 positions anymore. I mean, he'd, he'd have to play deeper in midfield. And I think, but I mean, how many teams really are going to use him 
as a no second one. striker. Exactly. Dele just has to, I think he needs to improve his game. That can only happen if he's being used in a different way. For example, let's say the plan is, okay, Dali, in the next two years, we want you to be, I don't know, uh, a box-to-box midfield player or something. He'd need that time to develop, to adjust to that situation. But the the, the midfield in Sotom is too good for him to displace anyone there. He ain't displacing Wanyama, you ain't displacing Dembele exactly. or any of those guys who are in the midfield. The so, Yo, uh, uh, just, uh, do, do, do we have time for maybe two more topics? On Neymar, if you guys want to talk about it. Oh, no, 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 it's, 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 it's no, no. And I, I said this on a previous podcast that we get into this at one podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe there's not enough time, but you're the perfect guy to ask. Delhi Ali or Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who would you rather have? Oh, it's going to sound incredibly biased, but I, I, you guys have kind of heard my thoughts and opinions on Ali just now. I kind of feel with Ruben, I just think that if Ruben had the same amount of game time Ali had, people would be raving about this guy. The first thing I love to look at him is, obviously, look at his build, what, six foot three, six foot four. His first touch is amazing. And when you look at the top players like your, you know, your Goretzkas and your Milinkovic, Savages, the minute they can, the ball's coming towards them, they can, with one control, they can obviously move the ball to the direction facing the goal. And then they can start their attacks because they play with their heads up all the time. Got elite control of the ball when they're running. I made this point before and people laughed at it. I made the point that Ruben's dribbling style reminds me a bit of Kaká. So I'm not saying it's as good, but in terms of guys of their builds to their height, having that uh, agility on the ball, able to uh, change their direction of their body very quickly. When they dribble, they use their feet when they're running. They're not trying to use their body. Everything's under control. I think that, I don't know, this is what really frustrates me Chelsea, but I'm not going to get into that just yet. But I feel that Ruben has a higher ceiling because I think that more clubs would look at it, look at him thinking this guy will be our midfield player for the next 10 years. I mean, I've already heard reports that uh, Man City have been scouting him so far this season before his injury. Yeah, I mean, it, it took him how many games to get into the England team? Like three? Barely any. Yeah, barely <laughs> any. I mean, already you could see his performance. I mean, and remember, he's playing on natural talent because this guy has barely played any football. I mean, I mean, he's not playing for Chelsea. He's not playing for the development squad. You know what I mean? So he's just not playing at all. So this year, it was always going to be, it was always going to take him a while to adjust to playing week in, week out. Mm. And, and I think that's what's con- contributed to his kind of injury problems. Even, even though we know he's already kind of injury prone as it is, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But just playing a whole season... I think has kind of contributed to his kind of wear and tear, which is a yeah. shame because I think he's 22, maybe. I think he's 21. I think it'd be 22. Oh wow! So wow, he's he's, young, he's, he's still young, but yeah, yeah. I just wish Chelsea would be more efficient with their loans, and I think they're getting yeah. a little bit better where they're sending like if you're 18 and show talent, we send you now instead of waiting until you're 21. Like what's yeah. going on with Charlie Musonda is ridiculous, but we don't have time uh, yeah, don't. for that. So, uh, so, so we're not going to talk about Neymar. No, no. No, because we don't want to depress Have Hope? Yes. Okay. But he'll, he'll make the World Cup. So let's uh, do some segments. What, where do we want to start with? Carl, recommended reads. Let's start there. Recommended reads. I got in a big uh, Atletico Madrid hole in the last few hours today. Uh, so I've got a couple for you. One is from ESPN, uh, basically about the end of the Torres era and how in a recent press conference they asked Diego Simeone, um, what he will do to keep Torres at Atletico Madrid. And Simone simply said nothing, um, which is quite sad. Not really, not really. It, I think it's sad. You know, he's, uh, he's an icon to them. Uh, Atletico's uh, resurgence. So it's in the Guardian about how Diego Costa's back. So yeah. this weekend, Madrid 
flattened Sevilla 5-0. And it largely came about from vintage Diego Costa just battering centre-backs. I'm kind of um, shitty he left. Yeah, yeah. Blame uh, Conte. <laughs> will always, yeah. they will forever regret, regret that fallout. Yeah, it's, you, it's, it's, a, it's a borderline sackable offence when you look at how good Costa played. He text messaged this guy. How do you, <laughs> why would you do that? Well, if Chelsea had did a Costa this season, who knows? Who knows? They'd, yeah, of they'd, course. They'd, they'd, they'd be, they'd be, they'd be, be in the, the top four for sure. They'd be yeah. in the top oh, four. No, like, like, look, 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 look. Chelsea aren't in the top five because we lost to, or Chelsea aren't in the top four because we lost to uh, Manchester United. We're, it's because of the games like Bournemouth, Watford, yeah. Burnley, Crystal Palace. Teams where Diego Costa, you would think, would eat the few chances that Chelsea create. He was the perfect striker for Conte. And mm. Conte was like, hey, bruh. We don't need yeah. you. And let's Peace. not forget, though, so that Conte then tells the board to not renew his contract anymore. So that was what really made, you know, Costa, had, I feel he had every rights at how he did. Well, 100%. And he had to force the move. It's not like I'm going to sit yeah. with the reserves. Okay, okay, what was the book? So play devil's advocates. What was the initial boss stop? Guys, we're talking about recommended reads here. <laughs> You're ahead. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Come um, so that. yeah, it, it's about Diego Costa's return to Atletico. So Atletico Madrid are seven points behind Barcelona in La Liga, and, and they play them, don't they? They've yeah. said they're going for. It. They've said you know we're going for La Liga. Like we we have nothing left. We're we are going all in to win La Liga. Uh, Griezmann looks rejuvenated now that he's playing yeah. with uh, Costa. So Costa's playing as the number nine. Griezmann's doing fun yeah. things behind him as the ten. What was particularly uh-huh. interesting is that Griezmann said that um, it feels as if we could have been in a tight race if we had Costa all along, to uh-huh. which Simeone said uh, we would have been in a tight race if Griezmann had sorted his head out in autumn, which was a pretty much a, a very obvious, like, wow. Griezmann trying to go to Manchester wow. United derailed yeah. the start of our season and got us knocking, knocked out of the Champions League, which I found interesting. Well, I want to recommend an old read from Rob Smith, which is on the forgotten story of Sam Pandoria winning the, the Scudetto in uh, 1991-92 season with uh, Mancini and Gianluca Vialli. So I recommend that one. Uh, Another read for you is The Independent from Jonathan Liu, which is basically how Pep Guardiola's transformed Fabian Delph and how that will probably be Pep's great achievement this season. Not winning the Premier League at a counter, but the fact he won a Premier League at a counter while also turning Delph into a left-back. And as I mentioned before, when I was explaining the false nine, um, I'm now going to stick in one of my favourite things that my friend Sam Dis wrote. So Sam Dis is the features editor at Mundial Magazine, which is the great football lifestyle magazine. Issue 13 comes out soon, so check that out. You should subscribe. Give um, us money but, if you're going to be plugs like this, Mundial. Yeah, man, pay us, man. <laughs> <laughs> Where the cash at? This isn't talking of like, oh, this is my friend. Nah, nah, tell your friend so to wire us some uh, cash. The article, <laughs> the, article I will, the article I will recommend is it's called A Brief History of Seven Nutmegs. And it's my friend Sam Dis looking, looking at one, why do we find nutmegs so emasculating and visceral when we see them? And two, he looks at seven nutmegs and looks at why they were so brilliant. And the, the final two he describes, um, Luis Suarez nutmegging David Luiz in the Barcelona PSG game. It's some of the best writing I've ever seen of an attacking player running with the ball. So check that out. Sorry, there's an ESPN read on how Arjen Robin cuts inside on his left. You should check that out. Yeah. Um, it basically, it's really interesting because he basically runs like a boxer. It's like a jab. It's so quick and so sudden. Um, hmm. So I'll, I'll check that one in. I'll check that in for you as well. Cool. Uh, Heroes and Villains of the Week. 
maybe maybe we'll give this to the guest. Nini, is there anybody who's done anything great this week who would be a hero in your mind? And anybody who's done anything bad that would be a villain for you this week? The the first villain of the week will probably have to go to Mustafi. And uh, I think the hero of the week, I'll have to give that to Lukaku because, again, big game performance. A lot of people unnecessarily criticize him, I feel. And, um, I mean, he basically won the game for United's. Yeah, uh, I would go Hero of the Week, definitely uh, Lukaku. I think that's a good good shout. Villain of the Week, since we haven't spoken since the last time, would be Atalanta fans yes. for their racist monkey chants uh, to Bashawai. I'm sure we've talked about racism and racist chants in previous mm-hmm. podcasts, so I'm not going to go into that. But yeah, so they're my villain. My Hero of the Week is, strangely, even if I don't like him, is Guardiola for... Um, Maintaining to wear his yellow ribbon in defiance of the FA for um, the those still imprisoned from Catalonia based on the whole Catalonia independence because his sister was actually stationed as a Catalan representative and I think I don't know whether it was Belgium or somewhere and she was removed from her, her post. So very, basically, his family is very much deep into the whole Catalonia thing and he was um, charged by the FA because you can't bring politics into football. But he still wore it again and said, like, he doesn't care if they continue to charge him or they ban him. He'll continue to wear the yellow ribbon. So, mm-hmm. you know, I I applaud his stance because I do feel strong. That was good. Yeah. However, I will bring up the fact that when he was questioned on the supposed human rights violations from the Abu Dhabi family, he shrugged that off. So that was particularly disappointing. So, True. You know, that going on one hand, I'm wearing this because of human rights violations in Catalonia. And they said, What about the supposed human rights violations of your employer? He goes, Yeah, you know, people are people. Well, he's <laughs> getting paid. He's, he's, so, he's that was paid. the point. Okay. So, you don't want to mess that paycheck up. I um, villain, villain, my villain of the week is Vincenzo Montella, probably one of the worst <laughs> managers of all time. <laughs> So. You know what? We didn't even talk about AC Milan beating Roma. Now that you bring up someone, Gattuso man, amazing. I thought he would he would flop. So it's actually amazing the amount of work that he's he's, he's doing. Yeah, look, amazing, he's a, amazing work. He's a contender for Hero of the Week as well. Gattuso, mm-hmm, for sure. uh, but yeah, uh, this has been the Talking Tactics podcast. Needy man, thanks for coming on, bro. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on, you guys. It's, I've really enjoyed my time, and I hope that you invite me on again. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, one last time, could you tell the people where they can find you, where your stuff is? Yes, yeah, so if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, that's at NiniFC, N-I-I-N-I-I-F-C. And my YouTube channel is Blue Lions TV. That's a uh, Lions is in the big cat, not a line. A lot of people misconstrue that. I don't know how, but that is Blue Lions TV. Yeah, uh, Nini's links will be in the description of the podcast. So wherever you're listening to this, check him out. Follow him on Twitter. Subscribe to his YouTube channel. Uh, it's really, really dope. Have Hope, where can the people find you as well? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Have Hope Hot. Head to the website, just head to the website, havehopefootballhot.com for my YouTube link, Instagram link, and my uh, Twitter link, havehopefootballhot.com. Carl's at Anchorman616. I'm at Daniel to look. Collectively, we're at Talking Tactics Online. All the links are in the description. Uh, so, yeah, this is the Talking Tactics podcast. Sometimes funny, sometimes serious. Always football. Indeed. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Peace. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 